Good evening, everyone. Today, I'm very happy to introduce my colleague, uh, Jeremiah Blocky. Jeremiah is a theoretical computer scientist who is interested in applying fundamental ideas from computer science to address practical problems in usable privacy and security. Jeremiah's research interests span um, several topics, for example, developing usable authentication protocols for humans, multiple, uh, exploring easy ways for humans to create and remember multiple strong passwords, and designing secure cryptographic protocols that are so simple that they can be run by humans. Prior to joining our department, uh, Jeremiah uh, did his PhD from uh, CMU and was also a postdoc at Microsoft Research New England. Today, uh, Jeremiah will be talking about usable and secure human authentication. All right. Thanks for the introduction. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you today about uh, creating and remembering multiple passwords. Um, so this uh, talk is on a collection of works uh, with uh, some of my co-authors. I've been fortunate to be uh, have the opportunity to work with a lot of great people over the years. Uh, so shown up here on the slide, uh, we have uh, my advisors, Manuel Blum and Anupam Data, and uh, Saranga Komanduri, who was a grad student at, with me at Carnegie Mellon, and uh, his advisor, uh, Lori Craner. Um, so to start off this talk, uh, I want to ask you to memorize a few secrets. Um, so I want you to imagine uh, that Bill Clinton is standing on this uh, beach here. And I want you to imagine that he is tickling a peach. All right, take a second and really visualize that. Uh, maybe the peach is laughing as Bill Clinton's tickling it. Uh, there will be a test at the end of the talk. All right, so that's person, action, object, Bill Clinton, Tickling a peach. All right, everyone got it? Uh, let's move on to uh, our second experiment. Uh, let's imagine Albert Einstein uh, standing in this, uh, on this railroad track. And I want you to imagine, imagine that he's puckering up and kissing a piranha. All right, uh, everyone got it? That's Albert Einstein kissing a piranha. Really try to visualize that. OK. Um, so today we're going to be talking about password management. And uh, password management is the task that we all face every day when we go online, visit a website, and that website requires us to either create a password or remember a password that we've already created to authenticate. The challenge is that users don't just have one password. They have multiple accounts that they need to uh, authenticate with. And they need to create and remember passwords uh, for, all of, for all of these different accounts. So there's two competing goals when the user tries to manage his passwords, uh, security and usability. And informally, security means that we don't want adversaries cracking into our accounts, you know, stealing our money. Uh, usability means that we don't want to tear our hair out trying to remember all of these darn passwords. Um, so let's look first at the issue of security. Uh, what could go wrong? Uh, and in increasing order of danger, there are three types of attacks that an adversary could mount online attacks, offline attacks, and plain text recovery attacks. I'll illustrate each attack in the next few slides. So your online attack is your simplest form of attack. Here the user registers uh, an account, uh, picks his favorite password. Uh, maybe this is a bank account, and he puts a bunch of money in his bank account. And now the adversary just comes along, and he tries lots of popular password guesses. Uh, so maybe he tries password, he doesn't get in. He tries 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. In this case, he gets in and can steal the user's money. Um, so to defend against online attacks, uh, oftentimes organizations institute some sort of 
k-strikes policy in which the user is locked out after a few incorrect guesses. These policies are relatively effective if the user picks a strong password, uh, but of course if users select uh, predictable passwords like 123456, there's a chance that the adversary might still break in. The second type of attack is even more dangerous. Here, the user registers for an account uh, with his favorite password again, and uh, the server stores, picks a random value called uh, salt, and they append this value to the user's password, um, in this case, unbreakable with the salt value appended, and they run this value through a hash function. And what they store on their server is the cryptographic hash of the password with the salt appended. So what can happen, uh, you know, due to uh, um, vulnerabilities in the software that the server is running or due to configuration errors, um, oftentimes an adversary is able to break into the server and steal the cryptographic hash file. In this case, the adversary can try as many guesses as he wants. He's only limited by the resources that he's willing to invest trying to crack the user's password. So, you know, here the adversary might uh, download his favorite tool. There's, uh, you know, lots of open source tools that the adversary could use. John the Ripper is one of them. He can rent time on Amazon's cloud or he can use his own computer. And he can just brute force, try lots and lots of guesses in a large dictionary and see if the user's uh, password matches any of these passwords. So, uh, this is unfortunately a common problem. Uh, password breaches at major companies have affected millions of users. And as I've given this, a talk, this talk over the year, uh, this wall of shame, if you will, has grown and grown and grown. Um, so here's my slide from uh, four or five years ago. Uh, here's a more recent version of the slide, and Yahoo really gets uh, um, extra credit for uh, releasing the cryptographic hash values of half a billion users. Um, this was in the news uh, a week and a half ago, I think, uh, where um, yeah, it was 500 billion uh, password hashes, and uh, they, they've been leaked. So if you have an account on Yahoo, um, an adversary potentially is running this type of attack right now against your very own password. Um, all right, so the final type of attack uh, is a plain text recovery attack. And uh, phishing is one uh, example of a plain text recovery attack. So in this case, uh, you know, the user thinks he's uh, logging into paypal.com, but whoops, he didn't check the URL carefully enough. Uh, this is actually paypal.com. And in this case, he just sends the adversary the password directly. Um, notice that in this case, uh, it doesn't really matter how strong the user's password is uh, because he just gave it to the adversary. Um, there's no, no need for the adversary to crack the password. He just has it. So phishing is one example of this type of attack. Uh, of course, there are lots of other examples. Uh, you could have malware on your computer. You could have a hidden camera when you log in. Um, or the website uh, where you have the account may just not encrypt their passwords, period. Uh, for example, RockU uh, developed uh, games for Facebook, and they decided not to encrypt their passwords. And later, someone was able to break into their servers using a basic SQL injection attack. And there were 32.6 million passwords that are now published online uh, because of this. Um, and plain text recovery is a real issue. Uh, it not only affects the account that was breached, uh, but it can affect other accounts as well. So um, in particular, users often reuse the same password at multiple accounts. 
So if the user obtains your PayPal.com password, perhaps he can try using the same password at other accounts uh, and see if he's successful. And the problem propagates. All right, so the user is uh, given the task of creating and remembering multiple different passwords in the face of all these different threats. And this is a challenging problem. And there's lots of advice that we tend to give users traditionally. Um, and the advice typically sounds something like the following. Don't make your password too short. Use a mix of upper and lowercase letters. Use numbers as well as letters. Don't use words or names. Use special symbols. Don't write your password down. Don't ever reuse your passwords. And oh, by the way, if you could change them every 90 days, that would be great. Yeah, question? So there are programs that are called uh, e-passes, data password management. Mm. And um, last time I, I counted the, the accounts that I have with is almost 20. And each one of them is either a different password. And it's really hard to track down all the passwords. Sometimes you forget them. So there are programs that are called e-passes. I'm, I'm thinking of actually using one of these programs. So what do you think of that? OK, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there are password managers that kind of automate the task of uh, creating and remembering multiple passwords. Um, and uh, password managers come with trade-offs, uh, security and usability trade-offs. Um, so uh, one password manager called LastPass has kind of been uh, a frequent target uh, recently. Um, there was um, a breach back in 2015 and a recent uh, security vulnerability in 2016. Um, so you know, while it addresses some security concerns, uh, there's also a single point of failure. And if you implement the password manager incorrectly, um, or if you enter your master password on any machine that's infected, then you've just given the adversary all of your credentials. Um, so there are costs and benefits to using a password manager, and you would have to evaluate uh, those costs and benefits. Uh, for example, if you tend to uh, authenticate frequently from public computers or from a friend's computer, I would recommend against using a password manager because now you have to expose your master password on multiple different devices. And if you can't ensure that, any, that every of these devices is malware-free, then you're exposing your master password every time, uh, every time you authenticate. So that's a, that's a great question. Um, OK, so uh, right, this is a challenging problem. Uh, and that leads me to uh, the second point. Uh, users are frustrated with all these suggestions. It's just unusable. You can't, uh, you can't follow all of these suggestions. It's, it's impossible. Um, so there's a need to uh, reevaluate traditional advice. Uh, and uh, Randall Monroe, uh, author of the popular webcomic XKCD, in fact, suggested that we've been uh, doing passwords wrong uh, for many years. Uh, so you know, typically, if you follow the suggestions, you might pick a word, make some number substitutions, you know, add some special symbols at the end. He's suggesting that these, uh, these types of passwords have much lower entropy. They're much easier to crack than just picking four random words. And he's suggesting that four random words are um, actually much easier to remember than a, than a password that looks like this. Now, uh, there's been some interesting studies uh, recently actually coming out of, uh, out of Purdue uh, in which uh, they actually asked users to pick uh, word-based passwords, uh, XKCD style. And they found that uh, when users are providing the source of randomness, actually there's a pretty high collision rate. Uh, 
So with user randomness, uh, you know, these passwords actually aren't that secure. Um, you might think that they have 44 bits of entropy, and that's true if you pick each word independently, uniformly at random. But when users are asked to select these words, uh, it oftentimes isn't independent. Uh, their selections oftentimes aren't at random. All right, uh, so let's look at a couple uh, password management strategies that a user might adopt. Uh, so scheme one, uh, we'll call reuse. Uh, and here, just imagine picking four random words, XKCD style, um, and uh, reusing that password at every different account. Um, so at Amazon, your password is correct horse battery staple. At eBay, your password is also correct horse battery staple, et cetera. All right, uh, well, there's a natural variant of this uh, called strong random independent, which is basically the same thing, except uh, for each different account, you pick a different uh, set of four words. So Amazon might be correct horse battery staple, and eBay might be banana baseball bat uh, potato uh, table or something, something like that. And for every new website that you create, you just memorize four, four new words. So intuitively, you might think the first one sounds easy to do, and the second one sounds, uh, sounds quite challenging. Uh, but can we actually quantify this, uh, quantify this intuition? All right, so let's go back to the problem of password management. And let's look first at uh, usability. Uh, how can we actually quantify the usability of a proposed password management strategy? So to talk about usability, we have to talk about human memory. Um, and this is challenging because uh, human memory is not a hard disk, uh, right? This is not just a platter where you can execute read and write operations. Uh, human memory is lossy. That's what makes the, the problem challenging. And human memory doesn't work by just simply writing to a cell and reading from a cell. Well, what does human memory look like? Human memory is associative. So if I tell you the word apple, you might be reminded of certain products uh, um, constructed by a company named Apple. That might remind you of text messages you sent on said product. Uh, or it might remind you of the late uh, CEO of that company. That might remind you of other famous CEOs. And that might remind you of you know, other operating systems designed by that CEO. Or maybe the word Apple will remi remind you of other fruits. In this case, you might think of oranges. You might think of orange juice. And then you might start thinking about what you had for breakfast. So when we talk about memory, it's in human memory, it's important to think about cues. What was the context uh, when a memory was created and stored in the human brain? Um, the context includes the surrounding environment uh, when a new secret is memorized. That might include sounds, uh, what you're hearing around you. Uh, it might include your visual surroundings. Maybe you're sitting at your desk when you're creating a new password. And it might involve the website that you're uh, sitting in front of probably just a text box with the label password. Maybe you're also thinking about uh, some other stuff like uh, tests that you have to take later in the week and, uh, and whatnot. So later on, uh, when you try to retrieve this, uh, this secret, uh, much of this context will be lost. So later, when you try to retrieve your, your password, probably the only context that's, uh, that's the same is just this uh, text box that says Amazon and password. All right, so how can we quantify usability? Uh, well, a first attempt to quantify usability involves chunking. So suppose I ask you to memorize the following string, NBC, CBS, ABC. 
Probably not too difficult, right? Now suppose I ask you to memorize this string, TKQIZRLWP. Probably a little bit more challenging. Why is that? Well, the first string is three chunks of information, three popular broadcasting companies that most of us are familiar with. And the second string is nine chunks of information, unless you can find some sort of meaningful way to uh, um, combine these, uh, uh, these characters into meaningful words. It's nine independent pieces of information that you have to memorize. Um, so this suggests a natural goal, uh, which is just minimize the number of chunks uh, in all of your passwords. And this is a natural goal, but I want to argue that this is a very incomplete goal. Why do I argue that this is incomplete? Uh, well, because human memory is vast but lossy. Um, we have plenty of space or capacity in our brains to store all of these secrets, uh, but yet uh, our brain continually discards the passwords that we've memorized. Uh, we've all experienced this at one time or, or another. So uh, our basic premise is that if you memorize a secret, uh, you need to rehearse it or you're likely to forget that secret. Now the question is, how much work do you actually have to do to memorize and rehearse all the secrets? And to quantify usability, we're going to introduce a rehearsal assumption, uh, which basically uh, quantifies how often you'll need to rehearse the secret if you want to continue remembering it. So, okay, here in this picture, um, you know, suppose the user hasn't logged into Amazon for a while, um, maybe three months. In this case, the user is likely to forget, uh, forget that particular password. Um, so our, our memory capability is motivated by a user study uh, we conducted. And in this user study, we gave users four person action object stories, much like the ones I gave you at the start of this lecture, and asked them to memorize all four of these stories. Um, and each point on this graph represents a point in time at which we asked, asked users to return and rehearse all four of their person action object stories. And here, this graph shows uh, the fraction of users that were successful when they returned, uh, divided by the total fraction of users that actually returned to, uh, to complete that, uh, that rehearsal round. And here we can see uh, that you know, with 10 rehearsals over 156 days, users are highly successful remembering all four of their person action object stories. In fact, on the last rehearsal, uh, this is the 10th rehearsal, 156 days after they initially memorized all four stories, 100% of users that returned remembered all four of their stories. This is even after a gap of about 64 days since their previous rehearsal. The key point here is that memories are strengthened with repetition. Yeah? Do you have any kind of uh, slide showing the number of, like the raw number of returners and such for those? Oh, raw number of returners. Um, I think it was about 50% of uh, users completed every rehearsal round. Um, so uh, this was a study on Amazon Mechanical Turk. and. Uh, we initially invited everyone to complete the first phase, which was memorization phase. And after they completed it, we would send them emails to ask them to return. Um, and if a user wasn't able to return in a timely fashion, then we had to drop them uh, from the study. Um, if a user returned and forgot one of their stories, then we would remind them and um, invite them to continue, uh, continue participating. Um, but uh, the key challenge here is actually uh, 
you know, a lot of users on Mechanical Turk just don't return for follow-up studies, period. Um, and in fact, uh, you'll see that from the memorization phase to the first rehearsal round, where the drop-off is, you know, about 60% of users returned for that first, uh, first round. Conditioned on users returning for that uh, first round, uh, the return rate was pretty high. Um, so users that, uh, that return uh, tend to keep returning. Um, and users that uh, don't like to participate uh, in follow-up studies just don't participate. This is, this is kind of a global phenomena in uh, all studies that you would conduct on Mechanical Turk with a follow-up phase. Um, you know, every, every study I've seen has a return rate of about 60%. Uh, so for whatever reason, uh, you know, 40% of users either miss the reminder or they're too busy when they get it and just never, never return. Um, okay, so uh, motivated by uh, the user study um, and by some other uh, studies, older studies in cognitive psychology, we introduce uh, the following uh, rehearsal assumption. The assumption basically says that you'll remember a secret that you've memorized if you re rehearse it at least once during each of the following time intervals. Once between day one and day two, once between day two and day four, once between day four and day eight. Of course, you can adjust the parameters of this model so that you know, the intervals don't double each time. Uh, but uh, um, for simplicity, we're going to just uh, use this as a running example. Um, OK, so now we have this assumption. Uh, Let's suppose now that the user visits uh, their Amazon uh, account, uh, maybe on day four, day five, day eight. Well, in this case, uh, they're naturally going to satisfy some of these rehearsal requirements. Every time they visit Amazon, they have to type in their password and rehearse the corresponding secret. All right, uh, let's suppose that the user also has a Google account and that he visits uh, Google maybe at day one and a half, uh, maybe day four and a half. Uh, maybe day nine, etc. Well, okay. Uh, in this case, uh, we can uh, use x sub t to denote the total number of extra rehearsals necessary to remember all of your passwords for t days. Um, so in this case, uh, whoop, uh, let's suppose uh, that I ask you for the value of x8. How many extra rehearsals would the user need to do to remember all of his passwords for eight days? Um, well, the answer depends on what strategy the user is uh, adopting. Uh, suppose that the user uh, is reusing the same password every, everywhere. How many extra rehearsals does that user need to do? Anyone want to venture a guess? Yeah? Right. Uh, yeah. If the password's the same, then there's no no extra rehearsals because you get a you get a practice round during each of these uh, each of these intervals. Suppose instead uh, that the user picks independent passwords for each account. How many extra rehearsals would the user need to do in this case? Maybe yeah. like one and a, so a half an extra rehearsal kind of thing. Um, okay, so well, like you, so uh, let's, uh, I guess, uh, break this down. Uh, so uh, the user has an Amazon password, which they don't rehearse during this window. Um, so if we want to guarantee that the user remembers the password, we're going to have to remind the user to rehearse, uh, rehearse their password once during this window. And that's you know, an extra rehearsal beyond what they would do in their natural uh, course of internet usage. 
Similarly for, for Google, the user is going to have to be reminded to rehearse his Google password once during this interval because he doesn't uh, visit Google during that time interval. So in this case, there's two extra rehearsals that the user would need to do uh, to remember all of his passwords for eight days. Um, so our usability measure is actually going to be XT, just the total number of extra rehearsals to remember all of your passwords for T days. And now our usability goal is naturally minimize the total number of rehearsal reminders uh, beyond uh, natural internet usage. All right, uh, so we looked at a toy example, um, but uh, what about users that have you know, more than two accounts? Uh, so you can introduce a model of, uh, of the user. In particular, you can introduce a model of an active user with 75 accounts. You know, some of these accounts they visit every day. Some of the accounts maybe they visit uh, once every week. Maybe some of the accounts they only visit uh, once a month. And now you can actually predict how many extra rehearsals does the user need over his lifetime to remember all of these passwords. And even our active user needs about uh, 3,000 extra rehearsal reminders over his lifetime to remember all of his passwords. If the user reuses the same password, uh, then even our infrequent or occasional user basically never needs an extra rehearsal uh, reminder at all. So our, our occasional user uh, only needs uh, 0.1. That means with uh, you know, probability 1 tenth, you might need to send him one rehearsal reminder over his lifetime. Uh, and our infrequent uh, user who's visiting most of his accounts uh, you know, once a month or once a year, think of grandma when you think of the infrequent user, uh, would only need three extra rehearsal reminders over his or her lifetime to remember, remember all of her passwords. All right, so we have uh, one scheme that's uh, usable and one scheme that's unusable. Um, so if we weren't concerned about security at all, the answer is obvious, just reuse the same password. All right, uh, of course security is an issue, um, so we have to talk about security and how we want to quantify security. So uh, before I define security formally, let me uh, just uh, go over our high-level approach, our philosophy. So we want to make a dangerous world assumption. A lot of times uh, um, when people do password analysis, they're only looking at current adversaries. They're looking at how secure their scheme would be against current attackers. But in our view, it's not enough to just defend against existing adversaries because after you propose a new strategy, the adversary can adapt his scheme to be as effective as possible against your strategy. So we want to make a dangerous world assumption. We want to assume that the adversary is going to adapt his attack to be as effective as possible against our, our scheme. And we want to provide guarantees even when things go wrong. So this means that even if the adversary sees the cryptographic hash of your password and maybe one of your other passwords, he still shouldn't be able to crack that uh, cryptographic hash. So this means that offline attacks should fail with high probability and we want to limit the damage of successful phishing attacks. All right. So formally, we're going to treat uh, security as a game between the user and the adversary. And the user moves first in this game. He picks his password uh, management strategy. And now he registers, for, um, registers at lots of different accounts uh, with uh, passwords following whatever strategy he picked. And now the adversary gets to move. And the adversary gets to point at, you know, let's say, one of the user's account accounts, in this case uh, PayPal, and say, show me the user's PayPal.com password. 
And in the game, the adversary is shown the user's PayPal.com password. Then the adversary gets to point at one of the user's accounts and say, show me the cryptographic hash of the user's, uh, let's say, PlayStation.com password. And in this case, the adversary gets the cryptographic hash value. And now the adversary is given a budget uh, with which to crack uh, the user's password. For example, maybe the adversary is given a million dollars to rent computing resources on Amazon Cloud, and now we can uh, use these resources to try to crack, crack the user's password. So he's given a fixed number of guesses that he's, uh, that he's able to try. And the, num the specific number of guesses depends, uh, depends largely on the particular password hash function that was used. Uh, so if, uh, say, SHA-256 was your password hash function, uh, then within a second on a GPU, you can evaluate billions and billions of password guesses. Um, if you do a little bit of key stretching, for example, bcrypt, uh, instead of returning the hash value, it iterates this hash function lots of times uh, to make this process more expensive. Um, and there are even more effective uh, key stretching tools besides bcrypt. For example, uh, I might recommend scrypt uh, or um, other memory hard functions if you want to, if you want to do password hashing. Um, but uh, once this password hash function is fixed, uh, then there's a cost, uh, cost associated with computing this hash function, and that gives the adversary a fixed number of guesses that he can try. So the user wins this game if the adversary fails to crack any of the passwords that he doesn't already have. So in this case, uh, you know, if the adversary manages to guess any of the user's other passwords other than paypal.com, uh, the user, the adversary would win this game. And if the adversary fails, then the user wins this game. Um, so to formalize this, we say that the adversary can compromise at most R sites, uh, plain text recovery attacks. Um, and the adversary can execute offline attacks against at most H additional sites. Um, and due to resource constraints, uh, the adversary has a budget queue that he's willing, that he's able to spend during an offline attack. The adversary wins this game if he can compromise any new sites. And uh, this looks like alphabet soup, uh, but throwing all the parameters of the game uh, on one slide, we say that a scheme is Q delta M S R H secure if the probability that the adversary wins this game, uh, given all the parameters, is at most delta. Here, Q is the number of offline guesses, M is the number of user accounts, S is the number of online guesses that the adversary can try before he gets locked out, R is the number of uh, plain text passwords that the adversary gets to observe, and H is the number of uh, password hashes that the adversary gets to observe. Um, so as a simple example, uh, Q delta M311 security is when the adversary gets one password and one password hash value and Q guesses to break that password hash, and it's secure if the, um, if the user wins this game with high probability. All right, uh, well, so what about security? Um, we can use our two uh, toy schemes, again, reusing the same password. We can look at different uh, security parameters. Well, in this case, it's very easy to analyze. Once the adversary gets one password, it's game over. Um, so, the scheme isn't secure with r equals 1, it isn't secure with r equals 2, r equals 3, etc. Once the user gets one, once the adversary gets one password, it's game over. Similarly, uh, if we pick independent passwords, uh, it doesn't matter how many passwords the adversary actually observes. Uh, he's not going to learn anything about the user's other passwords because they're independent. 
Um, and because they're strong and random, uh, he's unlikely to crack any of these passwords in an offline attack. So in this case, we're secure under all of these attack scenarios. So great, we have one scheme that's uh, usable and highly insecure, another scheme that's highly unusable but secure. The question is, can we find anything better? Um, so our approach, uh, as I hinted at at the beginning of the talk, uses person action object stories. Uh, and we're going to divide these stories into two pieces, a public queue and a private secret. So the public queue um, is a scene uh, and a person, um, in this case, uh, LeBron James on the bridge. And the private secret is a random action and a random object that the user has associated with these images. So in this case, uh, LeBron James is kicking a penguin on the bridge. Um, by the way, I don't have a violent uh, imagination. That actually was the randomly generated example. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, once, uh, once the user has memorized uh, all, these, uh, all these stories, what does the login uh, screen look like? Well, the login screen is just a sequence of challenges. In this case, you're asked for uh, the action involving LeBron James on the bridge, then the object, uh, then maybe uh, the object involving uh, Albert Einstein at the railroad tracks, and the user has to type in all of these secrets, or maybe the first three letters from each, from each word. All right, uh, and similarly, when the user logs into PayPal, he'll see a uh, similar set of challenges. All right, and if you're paying attention, you'll notice that this first uh, piece of the challenge was the same for PayPal and, uh, and for eBay. Or was that eBay? Sorry, PayPal and Amazon. All right, uh, so we are sharing uh, some of these queues across different websites. Uh, and as we saw before, sharing queues has certain usability advantages. One, potentially there's fewer stories to remember overall, and there's also more natural rehearsal for each of the stories that you have to memorize. Now, of course, the question is, what about security? Isn't reusing uh, secrets across websites an insecure practice? Uh, well, no, and we'll use a combinatorial design to ensure that any pair of accounts has at most gamma secret stories in common. Um, so in this case, uh, you might think of gamma as one, meaning that any pair of accounts that the user has should share at most one common secret. So formally, we can introduce an NL gamma sharing set family, uh, where a set family is just a sequence of subsets, S1 through N, SM. Each of these subsets is a subset of uh, the universe 1 through N. Uh, and each subset should have size L. So here, M is the total number of passwords. Each subset corresponds to, to the secrets uh, that the user might uh, use at a particular account. Uh, for example, SI is the secrets that you use to authenticate to account I. And gamma tells you how much information one password might leak about another password. L tells you how long each password is. And n is the total number of secrets that the user has to memorize. Uh, so uh, this is an NL gamma sharing, uh, sharing set family. Uh, how many passwords can you actually form uh, if you use this, uh, this trick? Well, suppose that you only are willing to memorize four person action object stories, uh, like the users in our Mechanical Turk uh, study. Well, in this case, I claim that you can actually form up to 14 different passwords uh, with the guarantee that any pair of password, any, 
with the guarantee that every password uses four secrets and any pair of passwords intersects in at most two secrets. So in this case, you have security against an adversary who sees one of your passwords, uh, but you don't provide security against an adversary who sees two of your passwords. After an adversary sees two of your passwords, he can potentially start to predict other passwords. Um, all right, well, suppose, uh, right, an adversary with one password is unlikely to guess uh, any of your other passwords. Suppose that you have more than 14 accounts. Uh, suppose that you have 75 accounts. Well, in this case, if you're willing to memorize seven person action object stories, you can generate up to 75 uh, passwords with the same exact security guarantee. All right, uh, that's great, but what if you want stronger security guarantees? Well, okay, suppose that you're willing to memorize 15 person action object stories. In this case, you can have 75 uh, unique passwords uh, with security against any adversary who's seen up to two of your passwords. So if the adversary gets to see any two of your passwords of his choosing, he still can't predict any of your other passwords. And if you're really motivated, you could memorize 43 person action object stories. And in this case, uh, you'd get a very extreme security guarantee. Uh, any adversary who's seen up to six of your passwords is still not going to be able to predict any of your other, any of your other passwords. Yeah. Uh, if you do four person action object stories, do you know yeah. how many passwords you could do with, say, the, the two password security? Oh, if you memorize four person action object stories, uh, with security against two. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, I don't know. I, my guess is not very many, um, uh, but I'd have to actually uh, try to run a computer program to compute the corresponding combinatorial design. My intuition is not very many, uh, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that. Um, so yeah, to get, uh, you know, to get stronger guarantees, uh, um, you know, this, this technique is particularly powerful as uh, the number of uh, stories grows. Um, so, you know, with 15 uh, stories, I can get security two and 75 accounts. If I just add one more story, I think the number of uh, passwords that I could form skyrockets up to like 160 or something like that. Um, so you know the technique is powerful, and it's, uh, you do get a lot of growth uh, um, once you pass a certain threshold. Uh, but uh, my conjecture is that if you want security two with four stories, you're you're still uh, not going to be past that threshold, and the construction is not going to be not going to be particularly large. So my guess is you can't create too many too many passwords. Yeah. I was wondering who gets to choose the word. Use your mic, please. Oh. I was wondering who gets to choose uh, the action and the object. Ah, yeah, that's an that's an excellent question. Um, so we're recommending that these are actually random uh, system-assigned actions and objects. In the user study we conducted, these were system-assigned actions and objects that the users were memorizing. Um, and the reason we use system-assigned actions and objects is that um, you know, if users are selecting their own actions and objects, they might select an action or an object that's highly correlated with the person or scene that they uh, see. So if they have Bill Clinton on the beach, for example, maybe actions like swimming or objects like shark are natural objects to associate with a beach. Uh, but uh, in our case, it was tickling a peach. Uh, 
because these are random actions and objects. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not something that's necessarily associated with the person or scene. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, what we found is that these random system assigned actions and objects are, are memorable. Um, so, you know, if you can go with system assigned uh, words, that's certainly the most, uh, most secure option. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wanted to ask um, the challenge posed by Amazon mm -hmm. is fixed over yes. time. Yes. And do Amazon and PayPal need to coordinate who, ch uh, like, uh, what challenges they will be posing? Right. Uh, okay, that's, that's an excellent question. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, um, first of all, the challenge that uh, you would see when you visit Amazon is going to be fixed. It's going to be the same every time. So your password is going to be, be the same every time you visit Amazon. Uh, do Amazon and eBay need to coordinate? Uh, I would love it if they would. Um, realistically, I don't think this is ever going to happen. Um, so the way I use the scheme personally is I just have a spreadsheet on Google where I record Amazon and the associated queues. We are working on developing a browser extension uh, which functions like a password manager except that it doesn't keep any secret state. It just stores the challenges that you would need to authenticate to every different website. And uh, sorry. And one more question. Like uh, in this one, um, so suppose today Mm -hmm. A kid starts and he's able to re uh, remember only four stories mm -hmm. and uh, 14 passwords suffices. Yeah. As he grows old, he might be willing to learn more stories. Yeah. And uh, does your combinatorial design in, uh, update dynamically or does it need to be refreshed completely? That's, that's a great question. So currently, no, uh, the combinatorial design does not update dynamically. Um, Getting a combinatorial design that does update dynamically is one of the research directions that we're, where we're trying to push hard right now. So that is, that is a great question. Uh, and uh, I think the intuition is spot on. You know, it's going to be tough for a user to memorize 15 stories all at once. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, we would recommend uh, if you adopt the scheme as is that you kind of memorize the stories in advance before you start using the scheme and you just slowly memorize the stories, eventually you've memorized enough stories and now you can start using the scheme. Uh, so that's a, that's a great question and the intuition is spot on. Uh, we are trying very hard to push, uh, push in that direction and kind of allow for incremental memorization so a user can start using the scheme after they memorize four stories but increase security over time. All right, uh, so <laughs> as far as security goes, uh, if you use uh, this, uh, um, 36-2 sharing set family, so memorizing 15 stories. Uh, each story gives you two secrets, an action, and an object. Uh, then you can get security under the first three attack scenarios. Uh, but if the adversary sees two of your passwords, uh, then potentially when he sees another password, he knows four of the secrets, and he can brute force over the remaining two secrets. So it's not secure if the adversary sees two, any two passwords of his choosing and then gets to execute an offline attack. And if you um, only memorize four stories or seven stories, you pick this uh, weaker, uh, weaker version, then you provide security under this first scenario where the adversary gets to see any one of your passwords. But security starts to break down uh, if the adversary gets more information. For example, if he sees one of your passwords and then gets the cryptographic hash, then he can execute an, a successful offline attack. 
Um, all right, so as far as usability, um, we can uh, run the same, uh, same algorithm predict to predict how many extra rehearsals a user would need over his lifetime to remember these secrets. And here we can see that uh, you know, our active user is going to need somewhere between four and 10 extra rehearsals over his lifetime to remember all of these secrets. And in fact, most of these rehearsals uh, are going to come within the first week after memorizing all the secrets. So after, you know, in the first week, you might have to annoy the user a few times, but after that first week, uh, most likely the user is going to continue to remember all of the secrets that he's remembered. So now we have schemes that, uh, um, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to use than uh, just reusing the same password, but much more secure. Um, and it's a little bit less secure than picking strong random independent passwords, uh, but much more, much more usable. All right, uh, so future directions, uh, as uh, we kind of hinted at, uh, um, how would you actually use this, this game? Uh, well, if you wanted to adopt it right now, you would have to basically set up your own spreadsheet and record Amazon and here's the associated cues, uh, you know, LeBron James action, Bill Clinton object, et cetera. Uh, so we'd like to develop a browser extension, and this is a project that we're working on right now, uh, which would allow you to um, have the computer just show you the, the appropriate cues when you log in. Um, so you know, right now, for me, the most annoying uh, feature of, of the scheme is not remembering the secrets, but opening up the spreadsheet and finding the associated cues. Uh, so uh, you know, if we can uh, eliminate this challenge, I think uh, the scheme is going to be much, uh, much easier to use. Um, and also, as uh, Hamanta um, indicated, uh, gradual password strengthening. So can we allow a user to memorize uh, four, password, four uh, person action object stories initially and increase security over time instead of demanding that the users memorize all of their secrets up front? Um, Another uh, important direction is recovering forgotten secrets. Uh, so you know, what happens if the user does happen to forget one of these uh, person action object stories? Um, we have some ideas about ways to construct a secure recovery mechanism, uh, which would allow a user to uh, um, recover any forgotten secret, given that he can remember most of his other, other stories. Um, and in this case, the idea would be to use error correcting codes and some other tools from cryptography um, to make the mechanism something in that's completely inaccessible to an adversary who doesn't know, already know most of the user's secrets. Uh, and a final direction, uh, one that I think is potentially interesting to explore, is intrusion detection. So we have a model, a uh, space repetition model, that allows us to predict when a user is going to uh, forget their password if they don't rehearse. Um, so um, what happens if, uh, you're a server and you observe a user logging in at time one, uh, he's successful. You observe him log in an hour later, he's successful. And then uh, you know, an hour later, uh, the user logs in three times and he's unsuccessful every time. Well, that seems a little bit suspicious uh, because it seems like the user has memorized the password and all, all of a sudden he's forgotten it. Uh, whereas if you see the user log in uh, you know, once at day one, and he gets the password correct, and then maybe uh, you know three months later he tries to log in and he's incorrect three times. This might be uh, less suspicious. So the question is whether we can use the space repetition model to actually uh, gain some intuition and predict uh, 
which uh, login attempts uh, may or may not be an intruder trying to access the user's account. So thank you for listening, and uh, I'll take any questions. I think we had one. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, what is the role of 2FA in the password cracking? cracking? Like, what is the role of two-factor two, authentication? Yes, please, yeah. um, so I mean, two-factor authentication could certainly be used in addition, uh, in addition to any of the schemes that we, we propose. Uh, you know, of course, when uh, uh, two-factor authentication is great, uh, you know, I'd encourage anyone to adopt it uh, whenever possible. It's not universally available. Um, some companies offer it. Some, you know, Google offers it. Some organizations tend not to offer it. Um, but you know, even if you use two-factor authentication, there's still there's still that risk that an adversary will break into the server and be able to execute that offline attack on your on your password. Um, so even then, it's you know, even if you're using two-factor authentication, it's Still good to have independent passwords if if possible. Any other questions? Yeah. I think I already asked you uh, if that password-based authentication scheme has such a difficulties. Why don't we move to hardware-based authentication or fingerprint? Okay, this is a this is a great question. Uh, so. Um, there's been a lot of work over really the last few decades trying to replace passwords. Uh, so you have hardware uh, authentication, you have biometrics, you have graphical passwords, uh, you know, you have your RSA, I, you know, secure ID tokens. Um, and in 2004, uh, Bill Gates uh, kind of famously declared uh, the password is dead. Um, but uh, you know, here's a plot of the number of passwords that uh, that are being used over time, and uh, you know, there's uh, this is the point in time at which Bill Gates declares the password is dead, and this is what's happened since. Um, so you know, somehow, despite all of these attempts to replace passwords, they don't seem to be going away. Um, well, why is that? So we have password management software. That's one uh, potential replacement. Uh, but uh, as we uh, mentioned earlier, now you have to trust all of the computational devices that you ever use. What happens if one's infected with malware? Or what happens if there's a security breach at one of the uh, password managers? Uh, that would be uh, problematic. Of course, password managers are only one alternative. You know, there's uh, um, like hardware tokens, biometrics, eye scanners. Um, and uh, there was a paper uh, published in 2012 uh, by Benoit, Hurley, Van Orschott, uh, and others uh, called the Quest to Replace Passwords. And they kind of looked at all of these uh, proposed uh, replacements and found that uh, really none of them is that silver bullet that we, that we need to replace passwords. Um, so you know, despite uh, all their uh, issues, uh, a password uh, has a low amortized cost per user. Um, so if you're uh, Facebook and you haven't, uh, you haven't raised capital yet, uh, they had a million users before they started to raise any capital. Uh, you, know, you can't issue all of your customers an RSA secure ID tag. Uh, it's just you know, too much money. Um, passwords are essentially free to, 
to implement. Uh, you know, there's, they're mature, you have open source implementations of password libraries like Bcrypt, so it's kind of free to, uh, free to implement. Uh, so if you're Facebook uh, and you have these options, are you going to um, use passwords or are you going to use uh, you know, RSA Secure ID? Well, of course you're going to use passwords. Um, you know, similarly, we could think about biometrics. Uh, well, the advantage is there's nothing to remember. I just have to have my finger. But you know, what happens if uh, an adversary is able to obtain my biometric? Uh, you know, I can't change my fingerprint. Uh, once it's gone, it's gone. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, I'm kind of leaking my fingerprint every time I touch something. Um, in fact, uh, I'm potentially leaking my fingerprint right now when I wave it in front of the high-definition camera. Um, in fact, a German hacker uh, looked at a high-resolution photo of Angela Merkel's, uh, um, of Angela Merkel, zoomed in on uh, one of her fingers, and actually was able to extract the fingerprint and uh, forge authentication credentials. Um, so there's lots of proposed replacements. Uh, but none of these replacements is strictly better than passwords. They have some, some advantages, but they always come with that critical disadvantage, uh, which means that uh, you know, until we find a, a replacement that's going to address all of these uh, security and usability criteria, most likely passwords are, are here to stay, for better or worse. Any other questions? This time.